0: So let's say you had the chance to spend 30 or so minutes with a person who really understands how to build a super engaged online community. Someone who's actually brought this word tribe to life. A person who can change your thinking about how to engage people, mobilize them, and to propel them to take action to help you to change the world. Now let's say you had the chance to spend time listening to someone who once felt guilty about making a lot of money until he was bitten by the philanthropic bug. And he was bitten big time. This person is now not only guilt-free, but takes such joy in making money because he understands that the more successful he is, the more significant an impact he can have on the world. Now let's say that these individuals were one and the same person. And let's say he was today's guest. You'd be excited for an amazing conversation filled with lessons and inspiration, right? So get excited. I know I am. Welcome to Nonprofits are Messy. Not enough money, too many cooks, and an abundance of passion. Leading nonprofits isn't easy. Joan Gary, the dear Abby of nonprofits, gets it. And she is here to help. Stu McLaren is an online entrepreneur. He has built, sold, and now advises companies. He believes that entrepreneurs can have a significant impact on the world, by making money and then channeling it to meaningful causes and projects. And he and his wife, Amy, have done just that. Stu's particular expertise? Launching online communities and membership sites. He's very good at it, perhaps none better. And it is these grassroots marketing insights that he and Amy have used to also successfully launch a registered Canadian charity called World Teacher Aid. Since 2000 and nine, they have been building schools throughout Kenya that are home to thousands of kids. He says on his website that this work lights up his soul. And it's why he is so passionate about sharing this experience with other entrepreneurs who want more meaning from their lives. Stu, I know you have a crazy schedule. And in that context, I'm super grateful that you're here today. Thank you.
1: Well, Joan, I'm super pumped to be here. Thank you for that.
0: So regular listeners to my podcast know that I am always fascinated about the journey of each of my guests. And so I tend to ask this same question to everybody. You're sitting around the family dining room table or the kitchen table, you're 10 years old, and your family has a crystal ball. They peer into it. What might they have thought you were going to be when you grew up? Assuming you (laughs) actually have grown up.
1: Yeah, um... I, I don't know. That's a It's a great question. I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, my parents knew that um, I would do well with whatever I did end up going into. You know, and I, I give my cre- um, so much credit to my parents. You know, one of the things that they did was they just created a, a loving environment for me and my sister growing up, and they instilled a lot of confidence in us. You know, so as we were growing up, I don't think that there was – you know, I showed any interest in a, any particular area per se, um, other than sports. I mean, I loved playing sports. You know, I was always a, uh, a um, an athlete. Uh, played competitive sports when I went to university. But what kind of sports did you play? Sp- soccer was my game. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. So I won two national championships at the university that uh, uh, Canadian university I went to, and so um, that was my that was my thing. So I, I in the beginning I. Uh, at, when I went to university, I had uh, I went for business because, now, um, quite frankly, Joan, this is kind of embarrassing to say, but um, that's where a couple of my friends went. Uh, they went to the school for business, um, and I was like, okay, well, that probably get you know, it'll give me some broad options, you know. It was embarrassing
0: because you actually made that choice just to follow your friends.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and yeah.
0: Uh, wait, well, let's let's be really clear, Stu. People make choices to go to different universities based on far less criteria than that.
1: <laughs> well, you know, for me, uh, basically it boiled down to my friends were going to this school. Uh, they had a great, uh, a decent soccer team, and um, and it was a smaller school. And I liked the feel of it being a smaller university. So uh, that was my decision process. And, you know, although it wasn't very calculated, I think the, the one thing that did work to my advantage was – because I decided to, to go into business, it gave me a broad range of options. And that, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, it just gave me a base that I could work from and then explore interests thereafter.
0: sort so to go into business and to be an entrepreneur are, are decidedly different paths, though, aren't they, really? I mean, to be an entrepreneur is about creativity, it's about opportunity, and it's certainly about risk-taking. And so, just actually, you must have been somewhat hardwired in this sort of idea of thinking a little bit outside the box and being creative about what was possible.
1: Yeah, well, one of the things I discovered when I was going through business school was that I didn't fit. I didn't. I didn't fit into the mold of <laughs> a typical business student. You know, um, I didn't like wearing suits. I hated wearing ties. Um, the the corporate uh, world for me just felt stiff. And um, I think the first time that I was open, my mind was open to, hey, there's another way to do this, was we were in a a marketing class. This is in my third year of university. And in this particular class, the teacher showed this video. And it was a video of a guy named Doug Hall. Now, Doug, he is a Uh, New York Times bestselling author. Um, But more importantly, his primary business is a company called Eureka Ranch. And basically, he is an inventor, uh, you know, by trade, I guess you could say. Um, And what he, the whole business, uh, what he does is he helps big Fortune 500 companies come up with new product ideas. So companies like Ford and Disney and FedEx, like massive companies. Uh, At the time, this was like, well, you know golly, it's going on over 15 plus years. But uh, at the time, companies would pay him $150,000 for a couple days of brainstorming. And then they would come up with new product ideas. And in the video, though, here was Doug in shorts and a Hawaiian shirt, no Mm -hmm. shoes or socks. And he was (laughs) shooting Nerf guns at these corporate CEOs. And I was like, man, this is amazing. Like, that is what, you know, uh, I want to do. And so um, I picked up his book, which was called Jumpstart Your Brain, and it teaches you how to think more creatively, and I applied it to my schoolwork, and I immediately, my grades, you know, um, jumped up, uh, my relationships uh, got better, I got, you know, uh, all the all the jobs that I was applying for, I was getting, because I was, my interviews were really creative, and it just kind of opened my eyes to the, the possibility that uh, we could do things our own way and because i didn't fit in the typical business mold uh, i think that's ultimately what led me to becoming an entrepreneur
0: yeah it sounds like it and we will put a link to that book which sounds great jump start your brain um at the uh, in the podcast notes associated with uh, with today's episode um so i want to talk about the power of online community for nonprofits and how to get that right but let's start by wearing your philanthropic hat and i'd, mm. I'd love for you to share with listeners how you and your wife, Amy, built this charity, World Teacher Aid, which funds schools in Kenya. So you took your entrepreneurial business spirit and applied it to um, to philanthropy. Um, and I'm always interested in philanthropists who start things rather than those who invest in existing organizations.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think for us... Um... You know, I was very fortunate because my wife is just she's an amazing human being with a big vision and a big heart. And so for me, like I was in business because that's just, uh, you know, like I said, I didn't fit in the typical mold. So I was figuring stuff out myself. And, you know, along the way, you know, we managed to have some success. And, you know, my wife and I, uh, she my wife in particular loves to travel. So she would always travel to all kinds of different countries, and usually uh, she was always going off the beaten path, you know, into remote areas of third world countries because she just loved to help. You know, she's a teacher by trade. So she would typically go and spend time teaching in these different environments. And one of the things that she always told me was she always said, "Look, look, you write checks to different charities, but you will never fully realize the impact that you're able to have until you go and see the people that you're impacting, mm-hmm. and so this was just a message that she just kept teaching me and kept teaching me. And then um, you combine that with back in the day, Oprah had this uh, show called The Big Give, and yep, uh, I don't know if any of your listeners uh, remember that show, but Amy and I used to watch it religiously. And you know, she would go into a community and she would—I think it was like a hundred thousand dollars—that she would um, have that would be used to, you know, dramatically impact somebody's life. Yep. And Amy and I always watched this show and we'd be in tears afterwards, you know, just like, well, oh, this is so amazing. And, um, and then one day, uh, this was, uh, the second week in December of 2006. And she said to me, I want to do something like this. And I said, okay. I said, great. You know, like I'll support you. And she said, no, I'm serious. She's like, I want to do something like this, but I want to do it in a third world country. And I was like, okay. I'm like, cool. I'm like, well, when do you want to do this? And she's like, over the Christmas holidays. And I was like, Babes, you know that's like in two weeks. I was just gonna and say, what said- did you say? This is Thanksgiving or something? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like the second week in December. And I was like, um, babe's like, this is like in two weeks. And she's like, Yeah, I know. She's like, Look, I'm the traveler, I'll uh, organize the trip. She's like, You're the business guy, you raise the money. And I was like, What? I'm like, are you serious? And she's like, I'm dead serious. I'm like, okay. So, you know, um, this was the start. And so I went, um, I called a couple of friends of mine. We did an online fundraiser. We managed that first time around uh, to raise uh, $17,000. And Amy found this community way up in the mountains of El Salvador. And so we flew down over the Christmas holidays. We had no idea how we were going to help this community. But we went... And we in just grassroots invested that money uh, to help them improve their school, and we bought them different things. We paid for the um, tuition for 59 girls to go to uh, to this other school. Like it was, it was just an amazing experience. And then, so coming home on the plane, I remember looking at Amy, and I just said to her, "I'm like, I get it, okay." That was an amazing experience. Let's figure out how to make this a reality. And we did. And so uh, we ended up um, forming our own uh, Canadian charity called World Teacher Aid, and that was the beginning uh, of it.
0: And when you talk about it, it sounds like of all the different kinds of successes that you have had from a business standpoint, that this one one actually kind of stands out for you, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, well, I think more than anything was that it was done – from a place of, um, just wanting to help and serve, you know, and uh, for me, what lit me up about it was being able to leverage what I knew, uh, about business to then be able to, um, you know, serve the charity and, you know, and we didn't have everything figured out in the beginning. Like, you know, like I said, our first trip was to El Salvador. Um, but then I can't explain why, but both Amy and I were drawn to Africa. And, um, so our first trip, we went to, um, Ghana, and we started a, a little project there. and then we went to Uganda and then we went to Kenya. And ultimately what happened for us was we settled in Kenya because we found a really great partner who could help us uh, implement our projects. and she was just amazing. And I think like anytime with a grassroots you know charitable uh, charity like we are, there's only four of us in our charity. Two of us, my wife and I volunteer our time. Um, we knew we needed very reliable and trustworthy partners uh, because we just didn't have the the manpower um, that uh, bigger organizations do, and so we just doubled down our efforts in Kenya, and uh, that's where we've been ever since. So what's
0: been what's interesting about everything that I've read about what you've done with this organization um, speaks to something that is so important to my listeners, which is trying to figure out um creative ways to raise money um it's remarkably hard work to do there are obviously so many worthy causes to support and then sadly when you look at the percentage of people you know in our society who in fact actually donate it is um sort of tragically small and um Earned revenue is a big discussion in the nonprofit sector. How can I, you know, how can I think differently? You know, so many different nonprofits are sort of all about their special events, which is revenue that costs a lot of money. It doesn't always stick. And um, in my reading, I I really um, was really taken by the funding model that you've created for World Teacher Aid that's kind of outside the box. And I think our listeners would like to hear a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, well, one of the things that um, we identified early was because we were a very small grassroots charity, um, we had to think differently in terms of how we wanted to approach the charity and funding and all that kind of stuff. And so one of the things that um, most charitable organizations do is they go after a lot of donations from a lot of people. And what we decided to do was, because we didn't have the manpower, we chose to focus on going after a very small number of donations. But the, the donations would be very large. And um, so it made it manageable for us. And that, more than anything, gave us the ability to be able to um, uh, do what we do in a way that didn't you know, max us out or drain us uh emotionally and mentally and physically and yet still have the kind of impact that we were looking to have
0: very interesting and and uh, um targeting a small amount of large scale donors required presumably a small a uh, a uh, uh, a lot of research about people that were actually going to get very fired up by about, by what you were doing yes
1: yeah, I think um, in the beginning, Joan, what happened was that it just started organically because um, I was in business and I just began sharing um, with a couple of close friends about what we were doing. And they weren't necessarily passionate about the project, but they were passionate about helping me and helping Amy. And I think oftentimes we forget that people invest in people. You know, so for everybody, you know, who's listening, it's, um, yes, people may definitely be passionate about the cause and be passionate about, um, you know, the impact that you're having, but at the end of the day, what they connect most with are people. And, you know, for us, we knew that that, uh, initially that started with the relationships that we already had. And, you know, but here's the other side of this, Joan, in the beginning too, I, I, I felt a little bit guilty about even telling people about it because uh-huh. I just I, I didn't I don't know if anybody's ever experienced this but I didn't I didn't want to uh, quote impose on people you know right and, and um, one of my friends um, and uh, mentors and he's actually on our board of directors he he said to me he said. Um, one day he pulled me aside and he said, do you believe in what you're doing? And I said, yeah, like, you know, we're having this crazy, amazing impact on all these kids over in in uh, Kenya. And he's like, awesome. And he's like, how has that helped you as an entrepreneur? And I was just like, well, man, it's made me more hungry to make, you know, more money mm-hmm. because I, I want to, you know, I want to give it all away. Right. he's like. And he said, uh, has it helped you, you know, in terms of your perspective on business and life? And I said, absolutely. And he's like, would you want that, uh, to give that experience to others? And I said, well, yeah, totally. Like I, I, I would, you know, it's dramatically impacted my life. I would, I would definitely want others to have it. And he's like, well, how can they, if you don't tell them about it? Okay. And I was like, ah, oh. and it was like this moment of like, duh, you know, and, um, And so he's like, look, man, he's like, you're not – he's like, if you don't say anything, you'll never attract the people who actually do want to get involved. And it was a a total turning point for me. And so I did. I started talking about it more, and and I started sharing why I was passionate about it. I started sharing the the big epiphany moment for me that like – because I used to struggle um, with when it came to money guilt and the turning point that happened for me and how that's transformed my – my business and my life. And that. so I started sharing all of this and more and more entrepreneurs were, were drawn to it. And, um, for us, that's basically what we did was we just, um, carried forward that natural momentum that just came from people who connected with us and connected with the story and connected all, uh, ultimately with the cause.
0: So there's a, so many different things in what you've just said that are worth teasing out. And I just want to point out a couple of them. Um, <clears throat> What you've described is that you are your your buddy was essentially saying you are um, keeping your friends' colleagues fill in the blank from hearing about an opportunity that has changed your life right mm-hmm. that if you don't talk about it, they won't know um, so there's this missed opportunity piece. the second thing the second thing that feels really important is it's an invitation. Like, I'm doing this Mm -hmm. amazing, you know, we're doing um, this amazing thing. I'd like to tell you about it. And you end by saying, would you like to know more? It's an invitation to know more and do more. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I heard in this, too, was that that trip that you took over the Christmas break, you got a chance to touch and feel the work. Mm -hmm. And there is probably nothing more powerful. And I do a lot of work with clients who have, you know, board members they wish were further engaged. And, you know, I did this uh, workshop with a board that runs a uh, homeless shelter for runaway teens. And before I went, I mean, I, you know, I didn't charge them. I just wanted to know more about the organization. So I spent an afternoon at the shelter and talked to the people who work there and talked to some of the kids. And I didn't mean to show up. <coughs> I didn't... I didn't mean to show up the board members. I just assumed every board member had been there. Well, it turned out maybe a third of the board members had actually been to that shelter and it wasn't more than a subway ride away. Mm-hmm. And um, so what you're talking about is bringing the work to life. You're talking about if you really care about something, being an ambassador for it and an evangelist for it, um, is not an imposition. It's actually an invitation and an opportunity. And I think that that feels like what, some of what you learned um, through that process. We're, um, we're talking with Stu McLaren. He's an entrepreneur, advisor to entrepreneurs, and an expert in building online communities. He's also a very smart and very generous philanthropist. So Stu, I want to shift a little bit and talk a little bit about online communities. It's actually funny that you raised money by going to a small group of large donors, when in fact, one of your real skills is building these big old communities <laughs> of engaged online folks. So it's kind of mm-hmm. an interesting contrast. Um, building online communities is so very clear, a, a very clear strategy, such an important one for what are we just talking about, inviting people to know more, do more for your organization what's the key? How do you build one, especially online? Because if you do it right, you create these sort of raving fans or advocates that are ready to do what it takes to support your cause. And I think many nonprofits are looking for that secret
1: sauce. Yeah, I think the, the gift and the opportunity that we have available to us is the gift is the internet, you know, um, and the opportunity that we have is that the internet allows us to be connected with people who share the same values, have the same philosophy, uh, share the same beliefs um, and they want a place to be able to connect with other like-minded individuals and the internet is is the way that uh, it's the tool it's the vehicle that's been able to connect um, so many of us who have all these different types of interests you know and um, whether it's for a business or whether it's for a cause, um, it doesn't matter. There's so many great opportunities when it comes to building uh, communities. And I would say, like, the, at the core, at the, you know, the foundation of it all, just like with a nonprofit and people connecting to what it is that you do and the cause and the message and so forth, is that you've got to get clear about um, what it is that you value. you got to get clear about, um, yeah, your philosophy. you got to get clear about what do you stand for. You know, um, because in today's day and age, if you don't stand for something, then you stand for nothing and you just get washed away in the message of everything else that's out there. And so that, I think, is more important from a community standpoint to help you attract the people that you really want to serve. And many times people are scared. They're scared to stand for something because they're afraid, well, if I if I say this, then I'm going to turn other people away. Yes, that's true. You will. But you will also attract the people that are really passionate about what it is that you do stand for. You know, one of my mentors early on in, in um, my life, he said to me, he's like, love me or hate me, there's no money in the middle. Love me <laughs> or hate me, there's no money in the middle. And so You know, Yes, you will have people who will disagree with you, but similarly, the people who do agree with you will be very passionate about it. And so what I would encourage everybody when it comes to building communities and even when it comes to building uh, your cause and, and your nonprofits and so forth is stand for something and be clear and vocal about what it is that you stand for. Because when you are clear, you're gonna end up attracting those who feel the same.
0: And so what would you say are a couple of the keys if I I'm an executive director and I have a relatively small nonprofit and I want to create a more vibrant online community. Um, Can you can you offer me some kind of tactical or practical advice of a couple things I can do that might make
1: a difference? Well, I think first you got to kind of get clear on you know what type of a community are you, you looking to create because there are many different types of memberships and communities and so forth. You know, is it going to be a community that's primarily based around people engaging in conversation? Is it going to be a community where you're going to teach people think, something? Is it going to be a community where perhaps you're going to provide a, you know a service of some kind? I don't know. Um, let's but say get- let's
0: let's say Stu that I'm I'm creating a community that I want. To mobilize, to take some kind of action,
1: okay, so this is all about um, getting clear on you know like I said, the values and the beliefs and the philosophies, um, and because nobody's going to take action for something that they don't believe in, and so what you want to do what i uh, what I recommend is you begin putting content out there that speaks to those things. so let me give you an example. Um, you know, recently I was, um, looking to, uh, start and build a whole new community for myself. And this was in, in, in the business space. And one of the things that I did was I took the time to identify again, values, beliefs, philosophies, and what it is that I stand for. And then I created content around those things. And one example was in the entrepreneurial space. There are really two different mindsets, I would say. One mindset is that you've got to hustle, and you've got to work a lot of hours, and you, you know, uh, uh, it's just work, 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 work. Um, it's called the, you know, the hustle mindset, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's just a mindset. Then my philosophy on it is that I don't want to build a business to just continuously work. I want to build a business that gives me the freedom to be with those that matter most, and so there's this conf- there's this tension in the marketplace because you know there's this message that's predominantly out there where it's like you got to hustle your face off, you got to work sixteen hour days, yada yada yada, and people feel guilty about wanting to spend time with their family. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to become a champion and a voice of this other side, and that's exactly what I did. I put together a video called Hustle, and the whole focus of the video was showing that there's an alternative approach to building a business. And when I released that video, it was just a short video, 90 seconds long, people resonated with that thing, and it drew the audience that I wanted to attract into my world and we created a series of videos like this one called hustle another one called money where i shared the story of you know that moment of transformation for me in terms of going from guilty uh the guilty feeling about making money to now almost liberated and passionate about making money because of what it can do for uh uh, what we could use it for to have an impact in the world and so again these are all messages that come from the baseline of values, philosophies, and uh, beliefs, and what I stand for. But the problem is is people aren't clear about those things. Right. And so because they're not clear about those things, they can't create content around it, and therefore they can't attract the audience. So that would be the very first step that I would recommend for everybody.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good advice. Um, so I wanted to ask another question about this word membership. Um, and uh, so I'm currently working with a client that refers to – it's low-end dollar donors as members. Mm-hmm. And when I start to tease that out with them, I, I'm not really sure that these donors feel like they're any, anything more than, and that's not a bad thing, but they feel like they're low-dollar donors. I don't think they feel like they're a member of anything. And I and I struggle with this when I think about this, is what does it mean to be a member of something? Is it about what you get in? return like like every spring those cute little Girl Scouts come to my door and they you know I buy a hundred dollars worth of Thin Mints or maybe some Samoas or something but am I a member of the Girl Scouts as a result I mean what does the return what is the return does it have to be tangible
1: Mm. well I think that there are um there are definitely different philosophies or uh, different levels of membership, I guess you could say. Um, and I would say it, it comes more down to a commitment, uh, a commitment. Um, and I would say, you know, uh, an, an engagement, you know, so for you, for the Girl Scouts, you know, that's probably like a once a year thing. Um, you, like you, you know, buy a bunch of uh, the mints or whatever. Uh, but the commitment is low because, you know, outside of that moment of exchange, you're not really thinking about the Girl Scouts, you know, um, you're, you know, uh, you're moving on, you've eaten the cookies you're on. Um, but a a highly engaged member, they are active in terms of talking about uh, engaging in, uh, consuming content around whatever the subject matter is for that membership. And, um, so to me, the most valuable member is the most engaged member. You know, Mm -hmm. the member who is, you know, or the donor who maybe checks in, you know, once a year, um, they're valuable because they're, you know, participating on some level but they're not as valuable as the donor who is checking in all the time and who is actively uh, looking to find uh, or to see the progress of the projects that they are donating toward or are helping bring people to different galas or uh, inviting other donors like those are the members um, who are very valuable so i think it's more about engagement more than anything and i know you uh joan you're gearing up uh to launch your own membership site. I mean, for you, what's going to make a valuable member for you? Who are you looking to attract? So,
0: um, yeah, so we're just about to open registration for a, um, a membership site that is focused very, very targeted way on small nonprofits. I just have been working, you know, for a number of years as a consultant and feel like there's a huge gap out there. I feel like people can't afford consultants and they can't afford coaches. And what could we provide to them, both in terms of information and resources, as well as a sense of, honestly, a sense of community and camaraderie. Um, I find that nonprofit organizations are typically run by people who are (laughs) really, really passionate, really driven. They're really overworked. They burn out really easily. And for people to sort of be part of a community to know that they're not alone, that they can get some insights from each other and from our folks. And engagement to me is about, you know, is the content that we're going to provide going to make them more effective? Is it going to make them a little less stressed? If they're part of a community of board and staff leaders, are they going to feel like oh, you mean I'm not the only one that has that problem? Um, mm. And or, or to feel a sense of real pride that they can help somebody else untangle a knot that they're having because they had it too and they figured it out. Um, mm. So I think that the key to what I'm attempting to do is um, is contending with a, with a very targeted group of people that in my mind is underserved by resources that are currently out there.
1: Yeah, and I, I would agree with you. And what I would say to that is that um, the other thing that will continue to be important for you long-term um, is that I know you're gonna help get those nonprofits you know, better results, make their life a lot easier, because that's, that's your intent going into it. What I would encourage you to do is to continue celebrating the success and the progress of everybody in that membership. You know, because at the end of the day, what sells, whether it's our nonprofit message or whether it's you know uh, a paid membership or whatever it is, it's the stories of people who are continuing to make progress. It's the story, you know. It's the story of in the nonprofit world, storytelling is massive. Like it's why we invest heavily in telling great stories of what is what we're doing, and in the membership world, it's no different. It's the stories of people who your audience can relate with. Um, and them seeing themselves in the stories that you're telling. And so that's why, for me, the best marketing, whether it be for nonprofit or whether it be for profit, are celebrating the success of the people that you get to serve. And so I'm excited for you, Joan. I mean, I know as um, somebody in the nonprofit world, I know that it is challenging. I know that, you know, at times you do feel lonely and, and it's hard. And, and, and you know, when the days are long and, and you're like, man, you know, could there be an easier way to do this? And uh, is it worth it? And, so, you know, you, you are tested all the time when it comes to. Your why behind these particular projects, and there's nothing I think that's more valuable than being around others who are in the trenches with you. It can lift you up when you're down, and can provide those ideas and those tips and those support um, when it comes to you know continuously growing. So I'm excited for you. I'm excited for the community, and I can't wait to see how it evolves.
0: Well, I think there's one other thing that feels really important to me, and um, and I get to experience it because. Um, through my blog and through podcasts like this, I I get a lot of emails from people um, asking me all kinds of questions. And so, you know, if I look at all those emails in their aggregate, it's ridiculously inspiring to me to see how many people are out there doing such a vast array of work to make the world a better place, right? And Mm -hmm. so I see that. And I'm, you know, I'm envisioning this community where, you know, on a bad day, um, um, you know, a board leader or a staff leader can, whether they add value, whether they ask a question or they offer some advice, they could just kind of go in and they can just see, wow, I am in an amazing, an amazing and remarkable club of people. And I feel really mm-hmm. proud to be among them. And I, I do believe that the kind of people who choose nonprofit leadership, they gain so much from that kind of connection and that kind of an understanding. That um, it's a people who do the kind of work that you and your wife do. Um, it's a it's it's a really remarkable to steal your word. It's a remarkable tribe.
1: Mm yeah well I, i'm uh, i agree and you know it, and um you do get tested you know like i know uh, there were a couple years where when we were raising our family and my wife uh, every year we go and we um open our schools so we go to kenya we open our schools and that's for us that's like that's the payoff you know that's the as we talked about earlier that's being on the ground and seeing the impact you're having and um, that's the payoff. But there were there was a couple years there where my wife couldn't go. You know, uh, one year she was nine months pregnant with our first, um, and then the next year uh, was when we had uh, our daughter was only you know less than a year old. So she was not old enough to go with us, and so Amy unfortunately didn't get the chance to go and be on the ground. Uh-huh. And it was really hard. It was really hard because she wasn't getting that payoff. And yep. and I think that like at the end of the day nonprofit work it's tremendously rewarding but it's it's like anything it's taxing as well and I think like when you're around other people um, who can like I said lift you up and provide you insights and help make your life easier um, that's what makes the whole thing uh, easier and easier and easier and Hey, if it's easier to bring more goodness into the world, I'm all for it.
0: <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I, you know, I, I often say to people, well, of course you're exhausted, like changing the, you think changing the world is going to be easy?
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: so um, I want to uh, be mindful of your time. Um, I, I really can't thank you enough for, for joining us. I, I, I could actually, I feel like I'd actually hear listeners frantically taking notes. So thank you so
1: much for your time today, Stu. Yeah, my pleasure. And uh, thank you for all that you're doing, Joan. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing your community.
0: Well, good. And um, so just as a final note uh, to listeners, uh, we are in the final stages of a a free online video workshop that we're running. Um, You can still register for that at www.thrivingnonprofit.org. It's a series of videos I think that folks have been finding mighty helpful and we will be opening uh, registration for the Nonprofit Leadership Lab in the next day or so. And um, uh, hope that you will consider uh, joining an amazing community of leaders um, uh, and being uh, being enriched by and enriching those amongst you. Until next time, thank you so much for everything you do. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Thank you. Nonprofits are Messy is a service of Joan Gary Consulting. Widely known as the nonprofit Dear Abby, Joan's leadership blog reaches over 40,000 unique visitors monthly from over 150 countries. Subscribe at www.joangary.com.